you so much for joining us today. Um, we've been having a little bit of internet connectivity problems, so we're going to just cross our fingers and hope that everything works okay. Uh, but bear with us just in case uh, it doesn't. So it's my uh, great pleasure to welcome to the seminar series uh, jo George Bob Milliar, uh, who's joining us now, I think, from Ghana, where he's a senior lecturer at the Department of Hist History and Political Studies at the Kwame Nkrumah University of Science and Technology. Um, he'll also uh, be joining us here at Oxford, we hope, next year as an AFOX fellow, uh, COVID vaccine permitting, I very much hope. Um, and today he'll be talking to us about presidential campaign stops in Ghana. Um, and because we're having some internet problems, uh, George is just going to keep his camera off for now. Um, and we'll try to show his PowerPoint and hope it works. And there should be plenty of time for questions at the end. So as always, uh, do store up your questions. Um, and uh, when it comes time for questions, feel free to just use the raise hand button on Teams. We'll be monitoring that, or you can type your question in the chat, or you can uh, PM me any questions you have. And then at the end, after the questions, we'll just hang around for a few more minutes if anyone wants to talk to George more informally or introduce themselves, again, internet permitting. Um, okay, so I will turn off my uh, camera now and George, it's over to you and Brenda, over to you on the PowerPoint. All right. Right. Thank you, Liz. I hope you can hear me. Yes, we can hear you really well. Excellent. Thank you so much uh, for the invitation to uh, take part in your seminar series. Yes, I'm uh, hoping that uh, next year I'll be able to join you. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, so my, my, my talk is on uh, elections in Ghana, and I've titled it uh, Presidential Campaign Stops in Ghana. Uh, this is a uh, work that uh, we started way back in 2016. So I'm working on this project with my colleague, Dr. Jeffrey Miller from the University of San Francisco. So what I'm going to present is just the preliminary uh, data that uh, we put together so that uh, we can have some conversations around the issues that we want to look at. Right. So uh, next, please. Right. Within the context of uh, democratization, Hello. Right. I see yeah. that. Uh, yes. Yeah, we within, can still hear you. Within the context of uh, democratization, I like to uh, uh, start this discussion by looking at the Economic Intelligence Unit uh, uh, Democracy Index that uh, over the years has always assessed uh, the state of democracy in the world. Uh, democracy index measures how democracy functions in democratic states uh, under five categories uh, electoral uh, process, pluralism, the functioning of government, uh, political participation, political culture, and civilities. Uh, Next, please. Based on these uh, 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 
categorization, the uh, economics uh, intelligence need uh, democracy index categorize uh, classified countries under the four regime types. So we have a full democracy that are very few countries that fall under full democracy. We have a flawed democracy, you have hybrid democracy, and you have authoritarian uh, regime. Now, in the context of uh, hybrid regimes and uh, authoritarian regime, what I'm discussing is very relevant when you try to apply that uh, to the African uh, case, that a lot of the states that we have in Africa, the democracy that uh, they have come under this type. Of course, uh, some scholars are questioning uh, these uh, regime types. Uh, next, please. So the, the, the 2019 index reported that almost one half of the world population uh, live in a democracy of some sort. However, only 6% reside in a full democracy. So, so the rest, the, the, the 94% uh, reside in uh, one of these, either explored a hybrid regime or authoritarian regime. Then, in the context of Africa, it's, it's actually very exciting and surprising. It depends on how you look at it. Uh, Mauritius is, is classified as a full democracy. Uh, the US was demoted in 2016, and I'm sure uh, the 2020 index that will come, the US is likely to still remain as a flawed democracy. Next, please. So according to the, to, the, to the Democracy Index, the worldwide score for democracy also fell from uh, 5.4 in 2018 to 5.4 and, and it's likely to do with the performance of states in Sub-Saharan Africa, Latin America, uh, the Middle East, North Africa. Now, the question I asked and, uh, for our reflection is, for us to look at the status of democracy in Africa and for my particular interest in West Africa. What is the, the status of democracy in West Africa? Next. The, the state of democracy in West Africa in 2019. In, in 2019, states within West Africa Subregion, they've been categorized under these labels that I've talked on on the initial uh, slide. That so you have uh, a lot of countries coming under the, 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 the regime label, then you have authoritarian regimes, then in the context of uh, those that are labeled as uh, flawed, you have uh, very and Ghana, the same category with the US. So here again, the point that we emphasizing is that there are still challenges, despite the fact that uh, West Africans have practiced multi-party democracy for nearly three decades now. There are still challenges. And uh, these are very important as we, we move forward. Next slide, please. Now, the, the year 2020 is Maybe you label it as a 
the year of elections in West Africa. Now, many states have held or are likely to be holding presidential and legislative elections this year. Togo, uh, earlier in the year, Togo and uh, Guinea held very controversial elections. Mali held its uh, elections in uh, April. Now, these were disputed and eventually led to the military taking over of the state. Uh, more recently, and uh, closer to Ghana, La Côte d'Ivoire held its presidential elections, of course. Uh, they were boycotted by the opposition. Now, uh, this is very troubling. But um, looking at where Ivory Coast is coming from, uh, the, the challenges that it has experienced in the past uh, conducting multi-party elections. And uh, for, for us in Ghana, uh, that's our Western neighbor. And uh, yes, it's, it's a challenge. And of course, they're trying to solve it there. And whilst we are getting ready to have ours. Next, please. Now, the scholarly debates about the democratization in Africa tend to emphasize that African countries are democratizing through elections. It is likely true that the, the transition uh, to civilian systems, to multi-party systems, were through elections. And uh, this very important study edited by Stefan Lembeck uh, myself and uh, uh, Jeffrey Taylor have used to look at the Ghanaian case that in the context of Ghana, Ghana has since 1992 been holding regular elections. But that uh, democracy does not just run on an even plane. But occasionally you have uh, democratic ruptures and that uh, these ruptures allow the political system to realign and allow political parties to realign. It allows for learning. It allows for the improvement of the system, and that, yes, democratic rights are very important. Then, another very important study that is relevant for the context that I'm discussing is the questions that uh, Jimmy Blake and uh, Wally asked in 2018, that what motivates African citizens to vote? And what, what issues do candidates campaign on? Now, for, for the context that I'm discussing, looking at the presidential campaign stores in Ghana, it's very important for us to look at the issues that Ghanaian presidential candidates emphasize when they campaign. Then it's important for us to situate this discussion with what motivates Ghanaians to vote for the parties that they do vote for. But these are very important. Now, these broader debate frame the discussions that we are having around our work, which is still very preliminary. And I guess we will appreciate the uh, comments or pointing to literature that you feel is relevant to enrich this work. Uh, next slide, please. Now, on top of this is the issue of the quality of electoral politics in West Africa. That the region has experienced a significant democratic stagnation, revolution and backsliding, and the examples are not difficult to find. That uh, what we have happening in Mali, in uh, La Côte d'Ivoire, uh, these are not improvements, but rather uh, there, there, there is a regression and a stagnation in the case. But of course, the reason for these deteriorations will vary from state to state. But largely, the behavior of the incumbent regimes 
was a very crucial factor in uh, the quality of uh, these uh, democracies that we're looking at. Next slide, please. Now, I, I, I come to Ghana, my history. Ghana reintroduced uh, party politics in 1992 after three failed attempts. Despite its uh, late entry into uh, democratization, it's often been seen as uh, one of the most uh, mature democracies in Africa. Now, if you look at uh, the Economic Intelligence Unit uh, Index, Ghana is ranked at number five out of uh, the countries that we have in Sub-Saharan Africa, right? And it has some very unique features that it has a very open political system and a number of very stable uh, democratic institutions. Next slide, please. But scholars have some commentators, social commentators and uh, uh, academics, it sees Ghana as a model. It's a model for the rest of the continent. But Ghana is essentially an electoral democracy that he has not improved on its performance, largely what it has and what is unique is just the conduct of elections. But the quality of it, the, the, the democratic evidence that uh, citizens are yearning for, the reasons why they vote for, are still in dispute as to whether the system is delivering. But of course, his, his statue as, uh, as a model democracy is based on his own history, which uh, I would look at. The challenge with uh, state building. Next slide, please. Now, what I just show you here are past uh, leaders of Ghana in a very long country. It's had a share of uh, history making and that. Uh, State building has been very challenging. There have been a lot of, uh, at least currently, as we speak, we are in the fourth republic. But before that, there were three previous republics that did not survive. And of course, that Ghana's fourth republic was built on the foundation of uh, authoritarianism. And that perhaps that history of uh, authoritarian rule uh, informs the decisions that citizens make when it comes to voting, that of course, uh, there's a generational shift. And many of today's generation uh, never lived under a military regime. And perhaps it's this young generation that are, 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 are giving support to the multi-party system that the country practices. Next slide, please. Still talking about the building blocks of the fourth public that the public class appears to uh, have an agreement on the rules of the game that there's an elite consensus among the two dominant uh, traditions that have governed since the return to multi-party politics and that for the political class when they lose election well unlike donald trump they would admit and uh, congratulate the winner and they move on. So this uh, elite consensus, in a way, has contributed to uh, consolidating uh, against 
Next slide, please. Of course, above all, what is very important as a building block, uh, in my opinion, is uh, constitutionalism, which is that the constitution has come to regulate party politics, has come to regulate the system, and with the uh, presidential terms, limits, and change, and uh, at least no, no, no party has attempted amending the constitution. Each president have uh, two terms to govern, and this uh, led to uh, gradual institutionalization of uh, programmatic politics, where ideas now reign instead of populism, and mutual populism is still there, but it's largely about debating ideas, it's largely about debating which uh, policy framework, which uh, development blueprint is relevant moving forward. Next slide, please. Of course, on top of that, are very stable democratic institutions that uh, at least there's a functioning legislature dominated by two political parties, likely for the fourth republic. And you have an independent judiciary that, that, that tries to uh, insist on the rule of law and respect for due process. Then there's the protection for civil liberties and uh, rights and freedom. Then you have a very active civil society organization and a free press, largely. Now, all of these uh, institutions have contributed to uh, making Ghana a model democracy. One that, if you compare the state to these peers, uh, there are certain things that are working for Ghana that in other countries you wouldn't find that. Next door to Ghana is Togo, of course, press freedom. The, 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 the freedom to associate freely next door is only always a major issue, right? So these are some of the things. But the democracy that Ghana practices is just not perfect, all right? So in, in the next slide, please, I try to look at some of the, the, the defects of this model of democracy that uh, Ghana has built over the years. Next slide, please. But yes. In the first place, Ghana's democracy uh, remains a work in progress. There are a lot of challenges uh, with the system. And that the broker system itself, the way it's been designed, it does not contribute to uh, making it very suitable for the political opposition. In the sense that the winner takes it all, makes it almost impossible for the political opposition unless uh, you are in parliament where you can oppose government, the, the governing party captures power and takes power the way it's supposed to be. Winner takes it all. Then, another defect that is uh, challenging is this partisanship that uh, is so endemic in the Ghanaian political system. Partisanship affects long-term development planning because once one party dominates and they have control parliament and the executive. Everything is just revolving around the party that is in power. Okay, so this affects uh, long-term development planning. Next slide, please. Of 
of course, then there's a question of uh, extreme polarization, which is in the Ghanaian context that there seems to be a perpetual campaign mood constantly. Once a new president is sworn in, the government is in power, the position start campaigning from the very day that the president is sworn in. Okay. Liberal democracy, the way it's practiced, has contributed to growing inequalities in Ghana. Rural urban, north south. Okay. Yes, there's a growing middle class. I need to point that out. But on top of that, there's still likely a lot of uh, people who are left out of these uh, gains that the growing middle class is, is getting. Then the issue of uh, 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 low intensity electoral violence, that these are pockets of violence that occasionally still comes up. Uh, Ghana is going to the polls on the set, uh, December. Ghana police have just released a report looking at uh, what they call uh, electoral hotspots. And overall, close to 6,000 uh, electoral hotspots have been identified. Now, these are spots that violence is likely to, to degenerate into something else. And, and, and for, for a country that has practiced uh, multi-party politics for nearly three decades, uh, these are troubling uh, issues. Next slide, please. Now, there's the issue of uh, political representation which is uh, highly skewed in, fa in favor of uh, males. It's a manly world. This, women are underrepresented in parties and decision-making uh, bodies across the country, even within party structures, apart from the national women's organizers role, uh, women struggle to, 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 to find a space in this uh, environment, okay? This is a problem, and that, of course, a very progressive state that wants to advance should be able to address some of this, but it's a defect. Next slide, please. Yes, above all, the most troubling is the institutionalization of what uh, is popularly referred to as uh, monocracy, not democracy, but monocracy, in the sense that um, party politics, uh, public service, be monetized. It's only those with uh, deep pockets, uh, those with uh, uh, donors who can support and sponsor their campaign that will get into a, a, a public office. And of course, because of that, campaign financing is highly unregulated. And this, of course, gives rise to political corruption. The daily reports of uh, corruption, not only in one party, but across board. All of them, anytime they are in government, it's the same stories that uh, Ghanaians will read. And one politician told me when I interviewed him several years ago that families grow food to eat indirectly when they access public office. They must eat from public office. Uh, this is a, a defect that does not uh, help the system. Now, I'll go to the third section, which will be the final section. Next slide, please. It is on uh, election campaigns in Ghana. Next, yes. In Ghana, parliamentary campaigns are absorbed in presidential campaigns. And that, uh, but above all, is the presidential election campaigns that uh, attract popular support and interest than the others. And national election campaigns are organized from party uh, headquarters and they are almost always centered around the presidential nominee. 
of course, party grassroots also organize and coordinate their own election campaigns. Uh, next slide, please. Local parties uh, are largely motivated to win elections at all costs. And in the Ghanaian context, there is no official uh, period uh, dedicated to uh, campaigning. So, like I said earlier, uh, it's always in a perpetual campaign mood, right? And local uh, campaigns are only regulated by party constitutions, of course, if the party that is governing, they will have a time period that they can uh, 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 campaign in if you are interested in parliamentary seat or something as presidential uh, campaigns. But above all, incumbency imposes certain restrictions on the time that uh, a nursing campaign can start. Next slide, please. Now, I'm coming to talk on the, the project that we are working on. Like I said from the beginning, that this is a work in progress. This is the first uh, presentation that I'm making. And that uh, I will just give you what the idea behind this project and what we're trying to look at. Essentially, we do not know where presidential candidates go during campaigns and what the, what the major issues that uh, they emphasize at each stop. So in the literature, there's very little on this subject, and we feel that uh, it's an important thing that we need to look at. So there's no study that has documented where politicians go, why they go, the places they go, why they choose to focus on the areas they go, why they choose certain uh, subjects when they visit those areas. This is very relevant. For, for, for literature, we feel that this is an area that uh, uh, needs further study, and that is why we are doing that. Next, please. So essentially, we, we, we are intending to compile a database of all information, evidence that maps out all the presidential campaign stops in Ghanaian elections. We started in 2016, like I said from the beginning. So this is the second uh, presidential campaign stop that we're compiling uh, data on. We are interested in where, when the presidential candidate began his election campaign, where the presidential candidates go, and what the major issues emphasize at each stop. The study documents exactly what the politicians really do. We are only interested in what they really do, right? Next slide, please. Now, the, the, the sources of data. Largely, we are using newspapers, collecting information from newspapers. We are using Daily Graphic and Ghanaian Times. Daily Graphic and Ghanaian Times are owned by the states, and uh, well, these are newspapers of record. We report official information and comments where the president, what the leader. So these are state home. Then we look at the newspapers that are aligned to the two dominant parties. So, for instance, the Daily Guide and the Chronicle are pro MPP. Then the Herald and the Heritage are pro NBC. So we collect information from newspapers. Then we also monitor radio 
in local news, like the news that have uh, countrywide uh, 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 coverage. For instance, JFM has a lot of uh, affiliated radio stations across the country. We, we, we listen to radio news and we collect data from there. Then we also pay close attention to their uh, campaign schedules on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter. Then on uh, popular electronic sources like uh, Ghana Web, these are likely the sources that we are using. We are not following presidential candidates and monitoring their campaigns. No, we are collecting information from a distance. But of course, we feel that this is the most safest, very reliable way to collect uh, information on what we are trying to work on. Next slide, please. Now, we, we try to the data. And we look at the date of the campaign event, the grievance referring to whether the candidate makes a claim to a particular grievance. Then we're also interested in the intermediary. This is whether any other people were mentioned as hosting the presidential candidate. Then we categorize our information also based on uh, interest groups. And this refers to any mention of a specific interest group the candidate when they mount the campaign platform. They refer to next slide, please. Then we look at the uh, uh, infrastructure promise that refers to the normal infrastructure that they promise. We look at uh, a distributive claim. We look at the public, which refers to uh, making a claim about what is in the best interest of the Ghanaian public. And we also categorize based on uh, evaluation, which refers to the candidate, either they try to evaluate a past uh, performance with their opponents. Next slide, please. Now, the, 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 the choice of political uh, parties. Currently, they are close to nearly 30 political parties that are registered and by the Electoral Commission of Ghana. But of course, all of these parties are not relevant if you have to uh, apply uh, Giovanni Satori uh, uh, argument about relevance in the multi-party system. So in the Ghanaian case, we've settled on the, the two dominant parties. But uh, since 1992, uh, there have been seven uh, elections, and these elections have been won either by the National Democratic Congress or the New Patriotic Party. So these are the two political parties that um, the city is concerned with, and it's their presidential candidates that the city is uh, trying to map up the presidential campaign stops. The other smaller parties are there, but of course, these are the dominant ones, and it's just about the attraction, and that is why we settle on these two political parties. Yes, now let me quickly report on some of the preliminary findings. Next slide, please. Next. Please. Now, when it comes to um, where the presidential candidates go, this the first 
the previous slide that uh, we just moved from. Yes, these are the regions where they do the campaigning, the stops. So you find the 2016 versus the 2020 still going. Now, the, the region that was uh, visited, the, visited the most in 2016 was the Greater Accra region. That is where the national capital is. Then, in the same light, you look at 2020, that Greater Accra region is the most visited region by two presidential candidates. They stopped there in the suburbs, they went to uh, marketplaces, they went to all other places within the region. Next is the central, uh, eastern region, in 2016. Eastern region was the uh, next visited most in the Ashanti region. Then in 2020, we realized that the Volta region is coming next after the Greater Accra region, almost 22 uh, visits to that region. Now, next please. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. We can the hear. next slide, please. Actually, it's not showing on my. Okay, but if it's showing on yours, I'll just. Uh, uh, I, what I try to show here is. Uh, for those who don't have, uh, provide a mental picture of uh, uh, Ghana and uh, the, the regions that the presidential candidates go to. Yes. In 2016, there were 10 regions. In 2020, they created new regions. So we have 16 regions. And, and, and those are the regions where the presidential candidates make their steps. So the Greater Accra region, as I indicated, is the one that you see the most uh, campaign stops followed by uh, the Eastern region in uh, 2016. In the 2020 region uh, uh, data, you find out that the Greater Accra received the most campaign stops followed by the Volta region. Okay, yes. This also falls under the, the, the swing and poor uh, 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 regions of Ghana. Next slide, please, which is looking at the types of campaign events, what they did, okay? Yes, the type of campaign event you see from the uh, 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 slide that in 2016, the dominant campaign event was released that a lot of the presidential uh, 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 stops that the candidates uh, did, it was about uh, holding a, a rally. In 2020, you still find out that uh, rallies, outdoor events are very important. So rallies is 24.1%, uh, and other outdoor events, 24.7%, which is still very relevant. Next slide, please. Yes, this is just uh, to show an example of uh, incumbency advantage for a campaign stop that uh, attended at, at, at uh, Obasi in the Ashanti region. This is just a program uh, uh, leaflet that was depleted. 
in front was the presidential candidate of the new Patriotic Party, that is the incumbent, His Excellency President Nana Zonko Akufado. Then at the back of the, the leaflet were two parliamentary candidates of the area. Okay. The next slide shows, uh, please, next slide. The next slide shows the program of the campaign event. Yes, that, uh, uh, if you can read, that is uh, Obuasi Municipality and Obuasi Eats. Okay, this was uh, an invitation for us from KUST to go and uh, inaugurate the KUST Obuasi campus. But it was also a campaign event in the sense that there was a debate in honor of the president. And the president, in his capacity as the leader of the country, was also there as the candidate of the governing party. And, and, and it's all about symbolism, okay? And the rituals that go with uh, campaign rallies or debates. Now there is, there is the president going around inspecting road projects in the morning. The part one says the inspection of road projects. Then the part two is the arrival of Nananong uh, and invited guests, including those who came from KUST. Then the arrival of the president himself. Then there's the exchange of greetings. And there's opening prayer, the introduction of uh, dignitaries, there's a chairman's remark, then there's welcome address by the Asante Regional Minister, who is a political appointee. Then there's a speech by the Vice Chancellor of KUST, because uh, the program was to uh, 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 inaugurate uh, a KUST campus in Owasi. Then there's a speech by the Minister of Education, who is a political appointee. Then there's a speech by the Minister for Roads and Highways, who is a political appointee. But earlier on in the day, he led the president to inspect roads. Then finally, this is addressed by His Excellency the President. Then the president now introduces the parliamentary candidates. Then the president moves to commission the KUST Obasi campus. Now, this is typical of the campaign stops for an incumbent. It's about cutting short for projects to start. It's about commissioning projects. It's about uh, outdooring new uh, uh, inventions and the rest. But beneath all of these uh, public symbolism is the electoral currency, which is trying to convert, convince citizens to vote for the party. Next slide, please. Of course. So what you see here is uh, the commissioning of the, the project, which was a, a renovated uh, a, a building to be used as a campus for my university. Then in the plaque uh, commissioning, that the president name is first. Yes, uh, to my right, the plaque there shows the president. His name is there, followed by His Royal Majesty. 2432, who is the chancellor of my university, and the university chancellor's name is there, and the minister for education, all the way to the vice chancellor of the university. Here again, it's all about symbolism, but of course, it's to capitalize on the opportunity that uh, this is a government that is providing development, and that if you renew the mandate, you would get many more of such development. Next slide, please. Now the next the, the next slide talks about the campaign uh, intermediaries, and that if you look at um, 
the two, the, the raw data that we have here, 2016 and 2020. But 2020, a lot of the intermediaries were traditional authorities. All right. A lot of them to traditional authorities, 70. Then you look at the uh, 2016, again, traditional authorities were very significant. And we lump the others as others. But it's very important in the sense that ultimately, when the president or a presidential candidate goes into the region, the first uh, place of all is always the traditional authorities' palace, and they are invited uh, to the program. So you find them as acting very, very crucially, even though I've argued elsewhere that uh, chiefs don't have the power to convince people to vote for parties. But it's just a symbolism and the, the, the public display of support or political endorsement that when they are allowed to speak at the political rally, uh, usually tend to praise the government for their programs and all that. But yes, they are very influential intermediary when it comes to the presidential campaigns that this project is all about. Can you put the second slide forward, not the next one, the the, after the other one, which looks at the nature of growth? The next one, please. Yes. So, when it comes to the questions of uh, grievances that are addressed, promises made, a lot of it largely is on social, education, health, all right? If you look at uh, 2016, it was almost the same. Then next is economic, in the context of 2016. Economic was very high, which is job creation, job creation. In the context of uh, 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 2020, it's about education. And it's not surprising in the sense that it's very high on the agenda here, because uh, in the last election, it was one of the major issues that was emphasized. And uh, a lot of commentators, writers have actually uh, used the issue of the introduction of free education as one of the Middle things that uh, won the election for the incumbent. So education is also coming up strongly here in the 2020 as a and health is also the social very important. Next slide, please. Now, yes, finally we, we, we look at the distributive claims. Okay. That these were largely directed at the general public and the more sectional interest. So you see that it's all about the public. If you look at the 2016, distributive claims were directed towards the general public, 58%. You come to uh, uh, 2020, it's about 83.2%. This is very significant, which is also reinforces the point that. Uh, programmatic politics has taken root in the Ghanaian context. That is not about uh, promising uh, private uh, goods, but it's about uh, providing collective goods for the public. And that, that is why the presidential candidates emphasize that mostly. Yes, and finally, to the my concluding remarks, please, the final slide. Yes, that uh, research on uh, a lot of mobilization in 
Africa focuses on core versus uh, string builders and also makes uh, linkages with the uh, clientelistic uh, networks and the role of uh, ethnic voting. But what we're trying to emphasize here is that we should go beyond this and look at uh, how social and institutional conditions, who these generally are, are, are not well seen, but they're also very important. So essentially what we're attempting to do here is to try to conceptualize a new way to understand political mobilization, okay? And that we are looking at political mobilization and linking it to looking at political campaigns as a season. These are one-time events. They come almost every four years. Now when they come, that season is unique in the sense that we find out what we just presented here. That in the context of Ghana, two political parties with their presidential candidates going across the length and breadth of the country, uh, promising public goods, cutting short for projects to start, commissioning new projects, that this needs to be studied and studied in the field. Right. So, this is what I have to present. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you so much, George. That was really, uh, really fascinating. And I think despite all of your disclaimers about it being a relatively new project, it, it sounds like you've actually already done quite a lot of data collection and, and data analysis. So that was really interesting to see. Um, I would encourage everyone to ask questions, but just while people gather their thoughts, I thought I would take advantage um, of of chairing and maybe ask the first one, um, which is I wanted to ask. Well, actually, I'm going to abuse my privileges and ask two questions, George, if that's 